0: So welcome back to Thrive, your agency resource. Today, I am super grateful to have a really special guest and good friend of mine on the show today. Chris Shumbra is the founder of 747, which I guess I would describe as sort of a a facilitator of bespoke events that help companies really show gratitude to their teams, their VIP clients, and their partners. Uh, We'll get into a whole bunch of that. And why that's super important. But Chris, I'm just so glad to have you here today. Um, I love connecting with you, as you know, and I'm just really excited for the conversation.
1: Thanks for having me, Kelly. I mean, uh, we've done a lot of great work together and we've shared many great, you know, friendship moments together. And it's uh, such a beautiful thing you've created and such a wild success you've had in your career. So excited to have this engaging conversation with you.
0: Thank you. So, um, You know, 747 uh, is such a unique concept. I think it would be really interesting for people to learn a little bit more about how you sort of arrived at the need to create this and, you know, really what your intention is and what the mission is of it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking that. Um, 747 is peculiar, (laughs) strange. It's, uh, yet it's needed. And it's been a wonderful journey to get here today. Um, Our story that we'll tell starts back in July of 2015. Uh, At the time, I was engaged in theater, producing uh, Broadway plays and overseas and both here domestically. And in 2015, I had a a few things shift in my life. Um, The person that I was working for, was getting married and we were spending less time together. I'd just broken up with a girlfriend. I had just returned home to New York City from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there. And when we got back to New York City, essentially found myself in a rut. You know, I essentially realized four things one day that I was lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, and insecure. One would call that a kind of a cross section of the American workforce, unfortunately. <laughs> And in that that kind of downtime, in that darkness, I started experimenting with a bunch of things that would pick me up out of my funk. And one of them was cooking. And so I invented all these different kind of recipes in my kitchen. I one day I accidentally created a pasta sauce recipe and I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. And I decided to host a dinner. And so on July 15th, 2015, we invited 15 of my friends over to our home and decided to give them the sauce. And 6.30 p.m. cocktails began. 8 p.m. dinner was served. But at 7.47 p.m., we put the pasta in the pot. And because I was lazy as heck, (laughs) I invited the people into the kitchen to help me create the meal. And we ate together. And we got comfortable together. And we asked them a specific question around gratitude. Mm. It just popped out of nowhere. But the question we asked at that very first dinner was, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? And people felt so comfortable and so safe because the act of working together to create the meal Mm. and to serve each other somehow created connection. And because of that question, they opened up and they got vulnerable and a bunch of them cried and they loved the sauce. And so we did the dinner the next week. And so for the first year of our dinners, we did a dinner every week, once a week for free in our home. After the course of a year, we had done 54 dinners feeding 808 people for free in our home, a little 350-square-foot apartment in the Upper West Side. And after a year, we started realizing that not only were the dinners saving my life, mm. not only the, were the dinners having a transformational effect on the people attending, but maybe some companies could benefit from it. Yeah. And so we started turning it into a corporate model, threw it out in the corporate space. And we've been running ever since. The, the key metric that we've had since day one, the only thing we care about from dinner to dinner is if less than six people cry we consider it a failed night the average is about 10. <laughs> and that's success.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I just want to kind of share with uh, whoever's listening and watching that um, Chris and I worked together to create a kickoff for a project that I had um, brought a couple of different partners into um, design, website development, uh, copywriting things along those lines for a company And uh, we used Chris's dinner model um, for the kickoff and to really get everybody together and allow them to be vulnerable and allow them to tell the stories of what they loved about working with the company and the clients and, and all of these things. And it made the project so much more successful. Um, You know, it was definitely unique and uh, it was uh, the first time that we worked together, you know, in that way. And I got it. I got it, you know, really, really quickly, you know, what the impact was and what the benefit was to, you know, to the outcome. Um, But that's only one component, right? That's only one use case, let's call it, for these dinners. I mean, there really are so many. Um, You talk a lot about the fact that there's this empathy deficit in society. So I want to hear a little bit more about the, the core theory that you have as to how we fix that? How we, how we, you know, change from deficit to, you know, a a more of a, an abundance mindset or Mm -hmm. how do we get to where we need to go?
1: Yeah. You you know, you bring up a good point. We live in a world that's so digital and disconnected, you know, social media has empowered billions of people to connect around the world, but are we actually connecting? Are we actually, uh, you know, giving our heart the goodness that it needs? And many would say that the answer is no. So you have, you know, President Obama talking about empathy and you have, you know, the Pope talking about empathy. You have all these people saying that somehow we've gotten so focused in on ourselves and our own opinion and having social media as a speaker stand that we've forgotten about the feelings and perspectives of others. Mm. And I would agree with that. You know, Roman Krasnarek, uh, who is one of the founders of the School of Life, he wrote a wonderful book about empathy. And in that book, he defines empathy as the art of imaginatively stepping into the shoes of another person, understanding their feelings and perspectives, and using that knowledge to guide your action.
0: Mm.
1: Right? So, empathy is this amazing power that that has the ability to heal broken relationships. It has the ability to inspire and motivate entire movements into action.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See, we, we've we lived in a world under the old Cartesian rule of, I think, therefore I am.
0: Mm-hmm. And we have the
1: self-help space. We have uh, you know, activism. We have uh, social media to blast our comments out- outwards. Therefore, I think, therefore I am. But there's an old African Ubuntu quote of you are, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the ability to listen to the the perspectives of others and use that to guide where you're going. And, and, and so, you know, the good news is empathy can be developed over time. And so this deficit that we face can actually be reversed. You know, empathy is a subset of emotional intelligence, the people that are watching this. And emotional intelligence is actually a very important thing in people's lives. You know, people that have high emotional intelligence earn $29,000 more per year on average than people with low emotional intelligence. And studies show that emotional intelligence is actually the only thing directly linked to earning potential, not IQ or technical skills, but EQ, the ability to lead. So the need to reverse the empathy deficit is actually great for business. And, and so as we look at empathy, right? Empathy came into our life in early 2016. We were doing our dinners, we were having a great time. I mean, heck, in early 2016, we woke up in our bed bawling our eyes out, realizing for the first time in my life, I was starting to feel a little bit of joy. Mm. Starting to slightly rid myself of insecurity, though I'm still not cured. I'm still an insecure fuck. And, uh, and, 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 and it was all because of the dinners. And so one day our friend Jerry, uh, Jerry Schweitzer walked into our office and said, if your 747 dinners were gender, what would it be? I said, it'd be a woman. He said, if that woman walked through that door right there, how would we feel? I said, we would be overcome and consumed by the greatest maternal energy and empathy we've ever come across. And I realized that. Was the pain point we were solving, empathy. And so, as empathy relates to our dinners, you know, empathy is listening to the feelings and perspectives of others. We at our dinners pride ourselves in creating the safe space for people to gather, to share, and listen to others in a small group format. Mm-hmm. So, if you remember that question that we ask at every dinner, that question is centered around gratitude. If you could give credit or thanks, to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Mm. You know, Steve Jobs once said, you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And that's what this question around gratitude does. Mm. It gives people the platform to share stories from people that have positively or negatively helped them in their past. Mm. So you develop empathy around the dinner table by listening to others share
0: right and you're connecting and and creating these deeper connections you're sharing probably um verbiage and feelings that you've never shared before with this Mm -hmm. group of people so just in and of itself sitting around well first doing the work together to create the meal right that's part of the whole Mm -hmm. structure of what you've created Mm -hmm. so everybody's got a job a task we're working together then we sit down we commune we have you know this meal together And we just have really organic, beautiful conversations. And a lot of people would say, I don't know, this kind of sounds like airy fairy, like, I can't imagine, you know, a couple of guys from my office in suits, like sitting down and doing this, you know, what? at the end of the day, we are human. And we forget that, you know, so it doesn't matter how you come to work. This is a little bit different. This is a really getting to that, that humanity, because we are robots when we go to work, right? And so that's what it's about. It's about sort of bridging that gap between the work self and the personal self, right? There's a million ways you can sort of uh, talk about it, but I think that is also the power of it. You know, we get to see people for who they are, not who they want us to see when we're in the workplace.
1: Yeah. I mean, just talking about the, you know, the team building aspects of this, um, you know, I think one of the popular things that people are making distinctions between now on the speaking circuit is the difference between. Uh, people used to talk about having a work-life balance. Now people talk about having a work-life integration. Yeah, like it—it it being a, um, a very you know synergistic blend between yeah. the two worlds. Yeah. Um, and and you know, in terms of team building, you know, empathy has a really 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 big part in uh, employee retention. You know, 87% of high powered CEOs believe that uh, financial performance is directly linked to empathy. And Mm -hmm. studies show that one in three employees would take a position at a different company for equal pay and the same job title if their employer was more empathetic. Mm
0: -hmm. It's that important.
1: It's that important. And so you know, long gone are the days where you need to fear your leader. Long gone are the days Thank when, God. That, when that leader being a bully is how you get stuff done.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's stuff yeah. in the past. Yeah. Leaders who are empathetic and listen to the needs of their employees will create greater creativity, productivity, and ultimately greater revenue.
0: Yeah. You know, and and you know, loyalty. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Because right now... You know, employees are lonely as shit, right? Loneliness is a massive crisis. The Surgeon General of the United States says that 51% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis, which is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes per day, seven years off your life. And so if you as an employer can take that stand and help bring your people together, Mm. Not as coworkers, but as friends. Then you've added tons to your bottom line. And around the dinner table, just so happens to be the unique way that we do it.
0: Right, right. So um, transitioning this conversation a little bit to um, sales or business development, but still along the same lines of deepening connections and gratitude. Um, why is it that gifting as the first, the first thing that we do? with a prospect why is that why does that work so well
1: yeah our 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 wonderful you know friend mentor partner uh, john rulin he's the founder of the rulin group and the author of uh, giftology he advocates that companies should uh, uh, dedicate about five percent of their net profits in gifting back to their clients and i'm not talking about the tchotchkes where you put your logo on a mug and you give them out at a trade show. We're talking about getting to know the needs, the personal needs of the people you serve and honoring that with a gift, right? So there's, there's five different love languages that you can use in life. And we believe that the five love languages should come into the workplace and especially into customer relationships. So mm-hmm. the five love languages determine how you like to receive love. Words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Obviously, we don't want people touching their customers, Uh, but but, that's a whole different show. Yeah, it's a whole nother thing. But but gifting and generosity um, are good for business. Um, and, And so I'll I'll end up talking about the dinners in a second. But Adam Grant wrote that wonderful book, Give and Take, Mm -hmm. where he studied 700 sales leaders and essentially could quantify what made them a successful salesperson. Were they a giver, a taker, or a matcher? Well, Adam Grant's study showed that givers are actually the least successful type of people as salespeople. But the findings of his study had a catch. The results of givers were split down the middle and givers also became the most successful type of salespeople. Better than matchers, better than takers. It was a network effect. When you're generous and you're giving and you can give gifts and you can know the personal motivating factors of those you serve, you will win over time. And what do I mean by personal motivating factors? What is the intangible benefit of someone doing business with you? Not your product or your price or what business benefit it has. But if your business is to make, you know, a a manager's life easier by saving them time. Okay, that's one benefit. But what would happen to their life if you help them save more time? They could spend time with their kids. They could retire quicker. They could be happier. Those are those intangible things. Mm -hmm. And so personal motivators, like you want to help your customers not just make more money, but you want to help them feel fulfilled, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, a sense of connection. These things warm the soul and engender people to you. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about gifting and you talk about generosity, we use our dinners as a way to help companies give the gift of community and belonging and show more gratitude to their VIP clients and partners because when you can create the experience that brings emotion around the dinner table, emotion into a B2B sale, you make customers five times more likely to consider purchasing, 12 times more likely to purchase, and 30 times more likely to pay a premium. So if you have a product or a a service-based business, You want to charge premiums to your customers and it's guaranteed to increase upsell, cross sell revenue and referral by bringing emotion into that sale.
0: Right. And I think that's a great place to to sort of end because, you know, this is not airy fairy. We are talking about business. We are talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, top line and bottom line revenue. We're talking about driving all of those things. We're just kind of approaching it from a little bit of a, a very different standpoint. You know, and I think it's the conversation that people have been a little leery to have for far too long. Um, and I do think it's time. People are very open to it. And people are realizing that, that we can't separate anymore, you know, humanity from business. They're yeah. not separate. They're, they're, they're not a dichotomy. They cannot be a dichotomy because we make decisions, especially purchasing decisions based on emotion. Everybody in advertising knows that.
1: Oh yeah, I so mean
0: it makes it, all the sense in the world.
1: You know, especially in a B2B, you know, capacity, emotion is, you know, every part of the deal. You know, if you're if you're in a B if you're in the B2C space and you're selling pencils, someone buying a $2 pencil from you, it, there's not much to lose if the deal goes bad. Mm-hmm. Not very emotional. If you have a 10 billion dollar deal on the line, if you're about to acquire a company of which you've never met the founding team, uh, that that's huge pressure and that emotion uh you you need to you need to check those emotions and you need to take care of them you need to connect with the people you know a lot of companies that are going through mergers will bring us in on the fourth date with the founding team of whoever they're buying because if that doesn't gel then what's the point right Right. you know that the net loss Uh, you know, the loss leader of having a bad founding, you know, the the founders not gelling is is worse than not doing the deal at all. Right,
0: right. Well, Chris, this has been an amazing discussion as I knew it would be. Um, (laughs) I love connecting with you every time. So thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: This episode has been brought to you by Workamajig, the number one creative agency management software. Show notes at thrive.workamajig.com. Find out how your creative agency can become more productive and more profitable. Schedule your demo at thrive.workamajig.com.